The Weather Lounge podcast is brought to you by Crew Tracker Software. This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hi there, everyone, and thanks for joining us once again here in the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and this podcast comes to you from our Weatherworks headquarters located in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And joining me as always here in the Weather Lounge is my Cat 5 co-host, meteorologist Mike Mahalik. Hello there, Mike. Hey, Brad. Cat 5? Yeah, I'm feeling a little Saffir Simpson-like today. Saffir Simpson? I mean, uh, hopefully I'm not that much of a windbag for you. I mean, uh, <laughs> that's pretty bad. Eh, uh, I mean, sometimes you can be. You're, you're long-winded, but... <laughs> Well, anyway, if we're talking about Saffir uh, Simpson scale, uh, category five re- refers to the highest strength uh, of a hurricane um, with sustained winds of 157 miles an hour or greater. Uh, for example, there was a hurricane, a Hurricane Michael that struck the Florida Panhandle um, with 160 mile an hour winds. And I think we even had a meteorologist who uh, intercepted that storm. Um, even though it was quite dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I want to. I mean, <laughs> I think we're gonna have a Cat Six one day. You know, maybe they'll they'll bump it up to Cat Six. There was always okay. talks about it, weren't there? <laughs> there were talks, but let's uh, let's stick with our original All categories right. at this point. All right. Well, the reason why we're talking about hurricane strength is because we have a very special guest on the program today, Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Rickert, and uh, he comes to us from the 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Squadron. And if you haven't guessed, he is a hurricane hunter, Mike. And uh, I've always wanted to uh, kind of chat with a hurricane hunter. This is a, this is going to be an interesting podcast for sure. Yeah, I mean, really, how crazy is hurricane hunting? I mean, you're flying into the strongest storms on Earth, and that's basically your job. I mean, it sounds good, right? I mean, we could do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, you know what? When I was when I was doing the, my uh, my TV in a previous life uh, time down in Charleston, uh, one of the Hurricane Hunter planes uh, came to Charleston Air Force Base, and I didn't go up on in the plane, but I was able to um, take a tour in the plane, and you know, I got to see where the drop signs go and all the you know, instruments. And I'll tell you, it's it's like a it's like a science lab up there on the plane it's really cool so uh, i kind of looking forward to so uh well further ado uh it's enough uh, banter let's uh, bring in ryan uh mr ryan rickert uh thanks for joining us today here in the weather lounge thanks for having me glad to be here yeah great uh you know what Let, let's uh, just kind of get some background on you here uh how you got to where you are now your uh, even i guess aviation and weather background to a point yeah so uh i actually did grow up in pennsylvania i see the flag behind you there Penn State went to Penn State. Got my <laughs> yeah, yeah, I went to uh, Penn State University uh, myself. Got my meteorology degree there. And uh, did you do the same? I did. I did. Great. I uh, went to Penn State. Uh, I started out in the uh, the branch campus of Allentown because that's originally where I'm from, Eastern Pennsylvania. Exactly where I was. That's where I'm Mike's at. <laughs> yeah, I, I went the same route. I went uh, the Lehigh Valley campus there, and then I went to the Burks campus, and then I went to... Uh... And here I only went to Millersville. You know, I'm, I'm like, you know... <laughs> Millersville, yeah. I got, accepted to Penn, I got accepted to Penn State, but I went to Millersville instead. They're two great meteorology schools, though, either way. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so um, I moved out to the main campus for uh, two to three years out there, got my Penn State meteorology degree and uh while i was out there i actually uh 
um, met up with an Air Force recruiter. And he was out there at State College. I didn't go the uh, the ROTC program, you know, basically doing that throughout college. I just went basically right after uh, I got my graduation degree and um, and then uh, went to officer training school, became a commissioned weather officer, and started basically going through um, Air Force weather that way. Went to uh, first station was Shaw Air Force Base, uh, where I was a second lieutenant forecasting for Southwest Asia, um, no less, for about two years. Um, for all the operations that were starting out, I, that was about 2003. So it was right in the beginning of the wars over there, OIF and OEF. So I got some good, really good uh, experience doing that, working a lot of uh, mid shifts and 12-hour shifts. After that, I got stationed in uh, Korea for one year. Uh, supported F-16s, U-2s, and uh, A-10s um, with ground weather support and then wherever they were going to fly. So that was a really cool experience. After that, I got to uh, move to Germany. That was kind of one of their promises to me is after you go to Korea for a remote one-year tour, hey, we'll send you to Germany and we'll find a spot for you there. So they found a spot for me in Heidelberg, Germany, landed there for about three and a half, four years, supported the Army, actually, since Army Army does not have meteorologists or weather support, the Air Force made a degree agreement back in uh, 1947 or 1945, one of those years that um, the Air Force was going to do the Army's weather support, basically when we split off from them. So we did that for four years, had a great time, deployed to Iraq, Pakistan, Qatar while I was out there. Um, actually Pakistan was my next duty station, Seymour Johnson Air Force Base moved there in, in North Carolina for, uh, roughly three and a half years while I was in Germany, I met my wife, we got married and then, um, moved to North Carolina, was there for flight commander for three and a half years, supported, uh, strike Eagles, F-15Es, uh, deployed to Afghanistan and Pakistan out of there. And then, uh, moved to my last duty station and active duty to Hawaii for two years. After that, then that's kind of where the transition is into uh, what I'm currently doing. I uh, basically there uh, around the time I was getting done there, I uh, was looking. They there was a job opening at Hurricane Hunters and had to interview, so I flew there, interviewed with them, got hired. So as I was basically transitioning out of active duty, I was able to get hired on at the Hurricane Hunters. We basically left Hawaii and moved to Biloxi, Mississippi expecting it would be a full-time job. I was hired as a part-timer, traditional reservist. And um, and then knowing that there's there would be opportunities for full-time employment um, down the road as people retired. Um, and about a year and a half after I started my training, uh, a full-time position opened up and I interviewed and, and took that. So um, ever since 2000, so I started in the unit in 2015. So I've been going at it for about seven years now. So, uh, Ryan, we must have just missed each other in school. (laughs) It's possible because I graduated in 2003 from Penn State. I was there in 2002. I graduated in 2002. So we were very close. And and I almost took the same route as you where I talked to an Air Force recruiter and I almost went that route with my meteorology career. But then I didn't 
I didn't go that way. Um, but it's just funny that, you know, we were there around the same times and probably just <laughs> kind of missed each other a little All bit. All the same stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, heck, I mean, if I would have went a different way, we might have been uh, flying into hurricanes together. It's, <laughs> it's <Wait. laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, um, you have extensive background, obviously, um, with everything. But I mean, at what point? did you say you know what let's fly into some hurricanes that'll be a cool idea like there's <laughs> you know what i mean is there a certain i've all i actually when i so what happens is, is when you go through initial training for air force weather the school is actually at keesler so keesler is a very big oh yeah keesler air force but yeah yeah keesler air force base is a very big in education there's a lot of different schools and classes there so what happens is, is a lot of the technical schools and the, like where basically the Air Force breeds their um, their specialty, those courses and those classes are at Keesler. It's a it's an air education sent training center basically. So there's so the runway, the airfield is owned or it's owned by the base, but it's only operated by the reserves. There's no aircraft by active duty there. It's all training. So I was there in 2003 to go through my initial, um, after I graduated officer training school and became a second lieutenant, um, they send you to this three month school down there. Well, while you're down there, they, they partner with the hurricane hunters. The, the weather school does, they go get a tour and they get this here, you know, someone speak and everything. And that was the first time I had ever heard and even really knew what this was. So this is roughly about 20, 19 years ago. So ever since then, and guess who the person that spoke to us was? You might remember him from the Weather Channel, Warren Madden. John Hope? No, Warren Madden. I remember Warren Madden, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I guess John Hope's a little too far back. Yeah, John Hope. Yeah, I don't know if John Hope was a hurricane hunter. He may have been, I don't know. But Warren Madden was a hurricane hunter at the time he worked at the Weather Channel. He was a part-time reservist. And while I came there, he actually spoke, and I remember his his uh, brief and I remember him talking about what it was like and everything. I was like, Oh man, I want to do that. You know, but I was going the active duty route. There's, you know, because what we do is it's the um, owned by the reserves. So active duty, you have to fulfill your commitment. You know, as you get started moving around, you just pretty much start going with the flow and, and try to advance and promotion and everything. Well, it just turned out that it was time for me to make a decision. And I basically, decided to move on you know and and my my boss at the time saw that this there was a opening and he was the one that referred me to it and I was like okay that's a great opportunity to continue weather and none other than being like one of the best weather jobs to do is be in it you know <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean that's that's one of the the most fun that you can really have with the, the storm chasers of the air I guess <laughs> yeah and I say I say fun loosely because you know it is an, an important you know job to be doing because you have so many uh, observations you're taking for for the meteorology. There there was a woman too, right, from the Weather Channel. I think her name was Nicole. That was a hurricane hunter. That's correct, Nicole. Yep, there were two of them that that I know of, and I knew both of them actually. Or actually, Warren Madden. Warren Madden is still with us. He's not a reservist anymore. He actually, when he retired militarily, he works at our our uh, our unit called Karka, 
down at National Hurricane Center. So he's kind of a liaison for us. So there, there's a small unit of civilians that work down at the Hurricane Center embedded with the forecasters. So when the forecasters, down in Miami. Yep. When the forecasters look at the, you know, the models and the satellite and everything the morning when they get on shift and they see, oh, we see this developing or the models are indicating this developing. We're going to need aircraft reconnaissance into this system this day. They, The forecasters talk to these guys. These guys communicate with us at the unit, and they fall in our unit. And Warren is the lead guy of that unit right now. So it's great having a person that understands the operational, the constraints of the aircraft, you know, all this this stuff, communicating with us specifically um, about what the forecasters need. Since 2004, Crew Tracker Software has enabled snow and ice management companies to save time, money, and resources with their comprehensive digital services platform. All the information needed to plan your operations and make business decisions is current and always available. Along with QuickBooks, Crew Tracker Software provides seamless integration with WeatherWorks certified SoFall totals. Visit CrewTracker.com to rock your game and learn how Crew Tracker Software makes managing snow and ice simple. Take advantage of the SIMA Show Special $500 discount and White Glove Startup Service offer. So, Ryan, I think you pretty much covered a lot of the, the, the next question, which was like the requirements to be a hurricane hunter. And, you know, obviously you went and you got your meteorology degree. But there is, a, is there any other special training that you need to do before you actually get into that plane and, and you're, you're hunting those hurricanes? Oh, yeah. Um, meteorology degree is basically the foundation of being able to do what we do as weather officers. Um, that's one of the prerequisites, basically. And then there is a, a, pretty, a, a pretty strict medical um, – a medical physical that you have to go through just to ensure that, you know, you, you don't have anything major wrong with you. Um, you know, air sickness, you know, things like that. So that's one of the, those are the two main things that really just getting your foot into the door and interviewing with us takes once you've interviewed and you've, um, you've made it past that and we have, we've sent you an intent. We like you, we like your background, your resume, you know, all that kind of stuff. We'll send you an intent to hire. And then basically it's, you just start working through the process to get into the military, the, the reserve side. Once that all said and done, the training part starts, you, you show up at our unit. Um, if you're green and you've not gone through any military whatsoever, you have to go through that weather course I spoke of. You have to get that, that's basically, it's called your Air Force Specialty Code. You have to get that rating. And it's uh, 15W is what we are. So you have to get that weather rating before anything, if you haven't done it on the side, officer side before. That's uh, roughly now, I think it's two, we have a guy going through it right now. He's two, two, two and a half months right there at Keesler. Then after that, you'll, you'll come back to the unit and um, then you'll start doing things that are actually very specific to the aircraft. You have to go through survival school out at Fairchild in Washington, which uh, the course when I went through it seven years ago was about three to four weeks long. Now it's uh, been cut down to two. That's where you'll learn just survival techniques, um, a lot of classroom settings, resistance training, a lot of stuff you don't really technically want to go through ever. <laughs> but they train you how to go through it in case you were like to crash land in a bad country or something like that. Um and then, then you have to go through the altitude chamber, which is basically learning um, 
your uh, if you were to start losing oxygen at uh, high altitudes, what your body, how your body responds to that, it's called um, hypoxia. And when your body starts losing oxygen, you basically go hypoxic. And there's everybody has a different um, different symptoms uh, per se. So that's another thing you, you need to learn what you what you become or how you become um, when you start that because that's always a possibility when you're at high altitude flying in an aircraft if you lose pressurization. So you go through that class. That's only a couple of days. Um, then you're basically ready to start your ground training. So as a weather officer, we have two. Well, we we kind of have two and uh, a sub one. One is just undergraduate ARWO training. ARWO stands for Aerial Reconnaissance Weather Officer. That's what we are. It's just a, you know, a hyped up name to call us a meteorologist in the air, a flight meteorologist. Um, you, it's about four months where you'll go through with our instructors and you'll go through a workbook. You learn stuff about the aircraft, crew safety, uh, crew resource management, operational risk management, all kinds of stuff. Just basically being a crew member. And how you it, it basically lessens the liability of you are because some of these guys have been flying an aircraft for thirty years, military aircraft. You know, some of these guys are really experienced. They've been over the desert multiple times. You know, in combat. You know, because some of these guys, a lot of them come from other places too, just like I did. Um, you know, it's kind of like their dream job. Oh, I want to go to the hurricaneers because when we go to the desert, we don't technically go to the desert. We go to the beaches, you know, the tropics, you know, Hawaii and St. Croix. So it's, you know, it's a different mentality, but a lot of people desire to come here because it's, it's an exhilarating job and you know, it's, it's good. Um, so, so you go through that four month course and then basically you're able to fly by yourself. you, you graduated from our undergraduate training. This is where you get your wings, kind of like you've seen in the movies where pilots get their wings after they fi- you know, finish their undergraduate pilot training. That's where our, our guys, and you'll see it on my patch here. Um, you don't see it in the podcast, but um, you guys can see we get our wings, and that's where you're qualified to fly in the aircraft by yourself for just normal missions, just training missions, whatever. Then after that um, – comes the um well they'll we'll give you some more orders to kind of span your time from becoming an an undergraduate to um moving on and advancing to the national hurricane operations plan your nhop training um because that's all based on timing right we don't fly stuff typically outside of june to november so it's all really what time of the year it is but that's really where you become mission qualified. You have to spend five months during the summer going through storms with instructors, flying them, learning the different techniques, the, the trade. How do you do what we do? Um, fixing storms, all that kind of stuff. So once you've gone through that training, then you can and you have an evaluation by an evaluator. You're basically good to go and fly in any tropical mission. Now, we did break out a... Um, I don't know if you all know this, but we've started to fly a lot more winter things, winter storms and during the winter season. So um, we normally will fly. We've been flying like nor'easters, um, ones that like a Gulf low that might track up the East Coast. They'll have a start flying out in the Gulf before then maybe up the East Coast. But, you know, those are, you know, they're not that often that they happen and 
the northeast northeast is getting nor'easters like every week um so we'll fly those but it's you know a handful of those a year six maybe half dozen at the most but we started flying west coast storms that impact the west which have a huge impact to them obviously because of water it's all about water lack of water or amount you know a lot of water so we've been flying those a lot the last uh, we've been in this program uh they're called atmospheric rivers but we've been doing this since 2016 i was on the first uh first rotation for that we skipped a year and then um it became operational three years ago so we are tasked through so that's another thing we kind of talked a little bit about it may have not been on the broadcast yet but the tasking ncep tasks us for that that side of things ncep is the tasking agency for the winter side nhc is the tasking agency for the tropical side so sometimes you even go up and like sample the atmosphere don't you i mean i know when there's like a yes those missions those missions are all that they're all we fly as high as we possibly can in the c-130 and then we do um drop sons along a a customized track in the west currently in the gulf and the atlantic they're they're already canned tracks but we're working to change that next year or the next following years to actually customize it based on where the sensitivities are in the models. Right. Yeah. It gets into the different suites in the models and 12Z, 0Z, what have you. That's yeah. Cool. You look at the different models. No, we're not doing that. We're, we're really the observers in the sky. Um, forecasters are really doing that. The one, they're the ones that are looking at, Hey, the GFS is showing high sensitivity of this. This run is here. We want drop signs here. And, you know, so they're, they're, well, that's what we do in the West. We've been doing that for five years. They customize the track based on where the atmospheric river is. Um, that's the our main target. And then um, the synop or uh, different things that are actually affecting the atmospheric river, you know, frontal waves, uh, PV strips, you know, all these other things that the forecasters are looking at. And then they draw tracks. Um, and then tell us the spacing of the drop signs along that track and where they want us to start and stop. And then we go and execute it. So it's a very tailored. Those are very tailored um, based on what the models are telling them that where they're the weakest. So you, you mentioned uh, drop signs a few times um, and a lot of our listeners might not know what exactly you're talking about. So can you kind of go through what that drop sign is doing for you and what kind of information it's gathering? Yeah, so a drop sign is a um, basically it's a a weather balloon, but dropped from the aircraft down to the surface of the ocean. Um, it records the same amount of de- same data. It's uh, it's reported in temp drop code, which upper air soundings people would be very familiar with the same code. Um, but it's from your aircraft down to the surface. So we launch it out of a drop sign tube. Um, has a little stabilizing chute on it just to kind of keep it upright the proper way as it falls to the surface. And then it basically falls wherever the atmosphere takes it and, and falls down to the ocean. Once it hits the ocean, it has a, a circuit, it, ter- it terminates. And then um, it's, it's being, um, how do I say this? It is um, being, the data is being tr- uh, radio frequency. So it has a GPS sensor within it to know where it's at, but it also it's be transmitted through radio frequency ch- channels. Um, so that's how the drop sound operator, our loadmaster, is re- receiving the data on his computer screen. He's watching it. He's making sure that it's right. It's uh, you know nothing's happening to it. And then once it terminates, he 
he can QC it and kind of package all the data up and send it over to the weather officer to send out as a message to the hurricane center to send out to the uh, GTS. So it makes it out to the world. So pressure, uh, temperature, humidity or dew point, um, wind, speed, and wind direction. And those are crucial when, you know, in the wintertime, but obviously, you know, when you're surveying a hurricane, you know, to, to see what's going on in different quadrants of that hurricane. I mean, the hurricane center, the forecasters probably look at our drop signs. Uh, I mean, real time, they're looking at them once we're sending them out to see like what's going on with the structure. There's stuff that, you know, we're not looking at that. They're looking at the, like, what are the temperatures, you know, at the different levels and the boundary layer and, and all these other things that are going on from 10,000 feet down to the surface to see what's actually happening internally in the in the hurricane that you know we're not doing we're just the observers you know we get to the storm and do it <laughs> but yeah i know I, I i've already looked at a lot of that stuff online where you can get the aircraft recon you know you know straight from your mission and and then you see like oh man the pressure has really dropped here you know even before the actual advisory or the new uh, warning or whatever comes out um, and it's kind of like, well, this is going to go up. <laughs> you know, we know. Yeah. You, I mean, the whole world can watch us now, basically either on Google or tropical tid, you know, a couple of the different websites where people are pulling our data in and you yep, can see. I've, I've watched you guys on, on those sites before watching yeah. the airplane kind of track its way in and like, oh, they're almost there. They're almost there. <laughs> on big storms, you know, you're, <laughs> it's pretty exciting watching that on, you know, something worthy, you know. Not a little pit storm, but <laughs> so I guess the big question is, you know, we got all the background now. It's like, okay, now let's let's get into your experience here a little bit. I mean, what was your first reaction when you punched the eye of a pretty major hurricane? You know, what was like going through your head? Because I know people must be thinking, like, you know, I, I wonder what that's like, you know. Maybe just take us through that. How does that go? Well, my the first storm that I flew through actually wasn't a hurricane. It, so what happens is it just it kind of depends on where your training is and who the instructors are that are around. Back when I was there seven years ago, there were a lot of kind of old hats that were sitting around. This one lady, Val, she's like, hey, um, why don't you go on up with, with me? You know, And I wasn't even in my NHOP training. I was still kind of like basic. She's like, come on up and I'll, I'll just show you, you know, what's, or just watch and see what's going on. So I go up there and we, it was a tropical storm, Joaquin in 2015, September. You probably remember the Joaquin. That was actually when the one that, um, the El Faro went down in Joaquin and I believe killed 33 people or something around there that, uh, cargo ship or I think it was. Yeah, something like that. So it was down by the Bahamas. Well, anyways, um, we go out as a tropical storm, and I'm not going to discredit Hurricane Center because these are tough. These it's a tough job trying to tell us where to go because they're basically giving us coordinates to go. So we're going, and we're not going. We're going where they told us to go, and it is a nowhere near that because it's a developing storm. You know, we need. The coordinates ended up where we actually fixed the center of the storm and ended up being like 30 or 40 miles away. And this lady vow, she's like, see, that's what, that's the purpose of aircraft recon. And why it's so important is because 
So even satellite imagery is misleading a lot of times. Like you might say the center's here. Yeah, for a Cat 5, okay, yeah, it's obviously it's somewhere right there in the donut. But, um, you know, tropical storms and these formative states, it's very important to know where that initial, you know, location is because that's what the models are being initialized off of. So aircraft recon up into the, you know, going up into the hurricane stage is very important because the models don't necessarily know exactly where that center is. So, so we go out there and I'm like, Oh, you know, it wasn't that bad. You know, we're, it's, we're flying at, I think 5,000 feet. Oh my, she, it's way over here. Oh, okay. That's cool. You know? So then she's like, why don't you get on the next mission? Well, the next mission had already gone up to a cat four. Joaquin. It was a cat four Joaquin. And this was the mission that the El Faro went down. And we're, we are flying out there. We ended up doing five fixes and I was just sitting in the seat behind the guy that was in the seat. And, um, it actually wasn't that bad. <laughs> I was like, oh, this isn't that bad. You know, <laughs> you know, sometimes like if they're stable and they're not really change fluctuating in strength, the, the eye walls can be kind of, um, I don't know how to put it. Just mundane i mean not like <laughs> this is not the what i expected at all <laughs> this was my first one so I, there's many stories after that <laughs> but this i was just like huh, this isn't that bad you know it was you know there was definitely some turbulence probably moderate turbulence um i mean and it's it's hard to say what it was now because i've been through so much but you know, there was definitely bumps and turbulence, but once you get in, it's just calm and you're driving around in the eye and you're fixing the center. But then they actually asked us to do search and rescue for this. It was, it went down, they had a distress call and I wasn't even in the seat. I wasn't even in the training for this yet. This was not even my training. It was my undergraduate. And, um, and we're all, Oh, I mean, it was all serious. Like everybody's looking out a window of the plane. We're looking, we're down low circling in the eye looking for this and we couldn't find it and it ended up being pretty far away from where they said once they found it. But, um, but so that was my first two experiences. And then after that, um, that was basic. I didn't go in anything else after that, that storm season. Cause I was a student, basic student. Then the next year is when I started my training. Um, and I'm trying to think what, First couple were, you know, a lot of the ones in the early in the season are really weak and messy and sloppy. That's kind of what I I dealt with for the first few. Then, um, then that was an El Nino year, I remember, and we went out to Hawaii for. I think it was ironically it was Darby, I believe. Oh, Darby, I can't remember. Actually, 2016 would it have been? That was six years ago. Six years ago, yeah, it would have been Darby. Darby. We have Darby this year, yeah. Yeah, Darby's going on right now. Well, it was a week Darby last, the last one, and uh, it was nothing. Or I think it was, it, it may have been a hurricane. I can't remember, but it wasn't anything spectacular. And then, um, and then we came home, and then we went back out, and I, that's when I flew. Um, I believe it was Lester and Madeline, and they were both Cat threes, and they were pretty rocking. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know. So my first like real hurricane experiences were as a student were pretty, pretty exhilarating. I would say like not really knowing what to expect. Um, they were rougher than Joaquin. Um, but I think it was just because of the stage they were at. They were rapidly intensifying. And I think one of them was falling apart fast too. Um, 
the following crew after our Leicester flight, um, they had clear, severe clearer turbulence in the eye. So, and they they had to abandon the flight because it was so bad because it was it was like I think falling apart so it, they get really messy and obviously anything can happen at that point so right so you're basically flying you know to the eastern Pacific too and and also the Atlantic storms is that right that's correct and Central Pacific so anything that looks like it could affect Hawaii. Eastern Pacific will fly anything that's projected to be a hurricane or more, a hurricane that's going to impact, impact the east, uh, western coast of Central America. And then any, anything in the Gulf, Atlantic, Caribbean. I'm just trying to think of some of the strongest storms in, in the recent years. And uh, uh, I think there was one uh, in the eastern Pacific, Patricia. Did you fly into Patricia? I didn't get to fly in Patricia. That was the same year I was a student. Or the, the same year I went in Joaquin. Okay. I flew Joaquin Well, Patricia was going on, I think, close to the same time period. And there was other students that were there. And they sent the one girl on that one. And I was like, oh, man, I wanted to go on that one too, you know? <laughs> right, right. They were like, oh, you already got on two. You know, all right, fine, whatever. So they, that one was, that one was also like, from what I hear, it was, they asked them to do another fix, and the crew was like, "No, we can't." It, it was so bad because they—I think the mile, the eye was only like five or six miles. Yeah, it was a pinhole eye for sure. Well, yeah, it's a pinhole. I flew a pinhole eye. Was it last year? Two years ago in um, Ada, Ada, the Greek out, the ones that hit Honduras and Nicaragua. That was a six-mile eye, and that was tough, and that was bad. It was rough. So, so how far west do you go, like uh, to, to Hawaii and then? How far west? We'll fly to Hawaii if there's going to be a storm impacting Hawaii. Um, anything else that's going to impact like Western Central America, like Mexico or Cabo or something like that, we'll fly out of home station. We'll fly it out of Keesler. We'll cross them over Mexico, fly it and come back and land. Those are long missions. They're like 12-hour missions. And then how about when you go east, though, across the Atlantic? How, how far can you go? Um, we'll fly up, I think the NHOP says 52 and a half degrees longitude, which is, uh, east of the Lesser Antilles. So in order for us to reach that, we will deploy to, uh, St. Croix and then we'll, we'll launch out of there. Yeah. I mean, so you explained some of your first experiences. So what was the most, the roughest trip through a hurricane? What would you say that would have been? Well, they're kind of in different levels. <laughs> they're, I would say like the top five. It's kind of hard because there are different situations that have occurred. But I would say like I flew Matthew. We upgraded that one to a five. That night flight, that was really bad because it was not a very symmetric eye. It was very it was strengthening rapidly too. I was, yeah, it was well, coming into it was the coast. And... <clears throat> yeah, that was a – it went – up to a cat five, we upgraded it to a five, my flight. Then we upgraded at Irma to a five on my flight as well. So that was a very rough one too. Cause we were around like the, I think that one was East of Barbuda, I believe. Um, the less Northern lesser Antilles. And then it kind of went through them and then went North of <clears throat> Puerto Rico in that area. And that was, that was rough. The eye walls were rough on that one. Um, but I will say, like, I we I flew in Agatha this year, um, the one off the East Pack, and that the turbulence in that was just 
It was ridiculous. The plane was the we really didn't have any control of the plane. It was it was so it was so bad and it was for a prolonged period of time too, like fifteen to twenty minutes. We were trying to get out of it. We couldn't get out of it. Because that one was rapidly intensifying too. And there really was it was a really small eye, but it was kind of getting like wound up. So it really wasn't it was forming or um as we were flying through it. So there really wasn't much of an eye. And it was the plane just it was bad. Yeah, so just running into those spiral bands and those hot towers and stuff around there. Just those were... ones that are just like really winding up because there's really not much of a organized eye at the time. Um, those East Pack ones are rough because a lot of times they get mountain wave turbulence off of the western coast and they have 10,000 foot mountains there. So I don't like flying those. Uh, but I, last year I flew two of them and the one was not bad, but the other one was really bad. It was uh, Nora. That one was awful. And it was only like a, at one seventy-five mile per hour storm. But we were so we were right up on the coast. We we fixed we fixed that storm five miles from the coast, <laughs> and then it went inland. And we were basically driving along the coast with you know eighty or hundred mile per hour winds coming over this ten thousand foot mountains. Yeah, that was fun. That was, so that was like thirty minutes of of moderate to severe turbulence and we were trying to get out of it. It was awful. How many, how many are in a, a typical crew when you go on the, uh, is there a difference for long flights versus shorter flights or? Um, well, kind of, um, the basic crew is five, two pilots, a navigator, a load master and a, and a weather officer. Um, so that's what the basic crew complement has to be in order to do a mission like this. Um, if they're going to be like night flights or like overnight flights, long flights or like your schedule, your clock, we, we flip flops clocks back and forth. If we're on a hard crew down at a deployed location, you'll fly a day flight. Then the next overnight you'll fly overnight and then you'll swap back to the day and then you'll swap back to the night. So if you do four missions in a row, you've flown two day flights and two night flights, but back and forth. So They'll try to get you at least another pilot um, because they're the ones that are basically keeping you the, alive, you know. So, it, and the, there's a lot of time, like we're going through a lot of training now. So there's a lot of students on the planes. So there's extra weather officers. There's extra load masters getting trained. There's extra pilots now. So typically it's not a basic five, you know, it's nowadays it's like six or seven with some extra people getting trained. And that's the end of part one of our episode. Part two will be airing next week, so make sure that if you're not already subscribed to the Weather Lounge, you do so after this episode ends. And of course, have your notifications turned on so you don't miss out when the next one airs. And as always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you here in the next one.